Hey everyone, thank you for joining me for another episode of Beer with Marketeers. Today I'm joined by the absolute legend that is Daniel Evans. He's even got his top button down for us. You know he means business. Uh, Dan is the marketing director, manager. Where, where are you, mate? Director, yeah. Director at uh, JCW, which is a phenomenal achievement. We'll come on to why that is in, in a few moments. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining me, mate. Thank you, mate. Pleasure. First question is a big one. What are you drinking? Yeah. So a fruity little number, little Copperberg mixed fruits. Ah, I'm joining you with a Copperberg, but I'm going for a can, strawberry lime. Yeah. yeah not I'm too fully, bad. Fully in. Big bottle. Nice. Cheers. Mm. So for the people that don't know you, would you mind just giving a little bit of background about how you got started and where you're at now? Yeah. Um, my, my start into marketing started when I was about like, 16 I think my my aunt used to work in advertising in New York and I used to be like really obsessed by her going off and talking about her going on like these advertising shoots and got me really interested in like advertising and then I did business studies at like GMVQ because I didn't get good enough grades to do A levels and the only module that I really liked was marketing so I did a straight marketing degree so I kind of wanted to do marketing from when I was about like 16 but after graduating I had literally like no word but I had 15 interviews for marketing jobs and I didn't get any of them and it was like proper looking back now it's like a proper car crash you know you're like you can hear your voice go in you mm -hmm. no confidence whatsoever and at the end I, I stopped and I was a receptionist for a year um then I got offered a job as like office manager somewhere, company car. I'd gone from like, you know, 17 grand to like 21 grand. I was like, I think, you know, that's it. The world's my oyster. And on day one, I, I quit my job after the first day. And I was like, what, what are you doing with your life? You, you wanted to get into marketing for so long. So I quit my job enough to go to was on the, Dole, I signed up for like job seekers allowance for like four or five months and then finally got a job in a marketing department um, doing kind of like admin work and then from there uh, while I was there sort of temping for sort of four or five months I then got a job at Hayes that kind of started my marketing career and then the interesting story about that job at Hayes is that um, I actually didn't get it and then they phoned me back a few months later and said look you can kind of came second do you, um, do you want to come back in and interview? And I was like, yeah. And then it turns out the person that did get the job is now my wife. So. Oh, wow. So, yeah, kind of a long story, but that is kind of how the, the journey into recruitment marketing began. So there's a lot of, lot of rejection, um, but it's kind of what I wanted to do from, from quite, apart from, you know, before that, I wanted to be uh, a tap dancer and I wanted to be a lawyer, but I wasn't really cut out for either of those. Um, we are recording um, if you want to do some tap so, yeah. dance. That, that would be very appreciated. No, do you know what? I wanted to, do, I wanted to be a tap dancer. And I um, made my mum take me to a lesson because I love tap dancing. And we turned up to the lesson and it was just only girls. And I then cried and refused to go in. So that was the end of my tap, tap dancing dream. I'm sorry just to hear so that. I'm sorry to hear that. If we can go back to, you said something really interesting there where you said you didn't get the grades to do A-levels, a right? But you went on to get a degree. So I'm going to go a little bit further back than 16. 
what, what happened between that age where you didn't actually get the grades you wanted, but you actually went on to go to further education? Most people I know, you know don't go on to further education if they don't get the grades. Yeah, so uh, you needed, back, I don't know what it, the, it's like now, back, you know, back in my day, you needed like five A to C's in order to be able to go and do A-levels. Um, and I got them, I got like one B and four C's. So I kind of could have done A-levels. And then the teachers basically said, Daniel, like A-levels aren't for you. Like you're not going to work hard enough to, to do it. So go to do GMBQ which gave me like 12 ACAS points. So I could go to like pretty terrible university. Um, but it turned out that those two years of doing GMBQ were amazing because I got to do purely just um, business studies rather than having like three subjects we chose at the time. And it was like the biggest DOS ever. So it actually worked out really well. <laughs> Always on your feet. Now for... I, I know you've, um, I'd like to say I know you pretty well. Uh, the idea that you wouldn't work hard for me is quite unbelievable because uh, I get emails from you at 11 o'clock at night, uh, sometimes two in the morning, it depends. So yeah. I think you've, your work ethic's obviously changed as you've matured. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was never a hard worker at school. Um, you know, I even like, so stupid looking back because you're completely right. Like, I work a lot now. But I even had this thing like at university, I had to be the first one to leave the exam. So when I did my exams, you could, you, the exams lasted two hours. It sounds so stupid. <laughs> like the exams lasted two hours. You couldn't leave in the first hour. You couldn't leave in the last half an hour. But you had a half an hour window that if you finished early, you could leave. So I basically made it my mission to be the first one out of the university hall, like after an hour. So I, I would like, have two hours to do an exam. I told myself, right, you've only got an hour. And looking back, like, what was I doing in my life? But, you know, kind of all worked out right at the end. But yeah, uh, definitely changed as I became very career focused um, once I actually got into a job. Which is brilliant to hear. And what advice have you got for someone that's just maybe just finished A-levels looking to get into marketing maybe they're thinking do I go to university do I get a job what would your advice be to them right now um I think the cost of university now probably changes that and I think that um the experience you know if I had the choice to get saddled with 50 grand of debt or to go into the workplace and get some real valuable experience I'd probably choose the work experience um particularly as I went to did my degree before social media existed Facebook wasn't a thing right so I learned all about marketing in a completely different world and so how relevant is that it gives you a great understanding of the strategy but I think um, when I started out you know had a lot of rejection but I was really passionate and determined to have a career in marketing so it's kind of like really cheesy but if you really believe in something you really want it kind of like don't give up and and then once I started in, in a role I I mentioned that like my wife got uh, the job instead of me um, but then I I got promoted before her I put my hand up for every single thing so therefore I got exposure to a lot more a lot more stuff and you know marketing is so varied and covers so many different facets that having then when it came 
you know, time to promotion, I'd experienced, you know, more really. So by kind of working more, it, it wasn't just doing that, it was so I could have a uh, a wider experience and skill set. So yeah, I think you know, believe in something, kind of work work hard for it. You know, don't don't do what I did in terms of leaving the exams early, but you know, once I was in that workplace, just work for what you want. I was really obsessed with like job titles and you know changing my email signature from marketing assistant to marketing coordinator and that that drove me like uh, every day to sort of strive towards that it's probably something that still drives me now and then you come on a podcast and someone doesn't know if you're the marketing manager or director that must hurt yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks yeah <laughs> so after Hayes you finished at Hayes Hayes is obviously a big a big big huge company and quite often I speak to people and they feel like a little fish in a big pond um is that was that your experience there or did you feel like you could make a real difference yeah I, I loved it in, in fairness I've loved everywhere that I've worked I, I think because I genuinely just love my job um I, I didn't I never felt like a big fish it never really felt to me like it was a massive company in a way particularly you know when I first started we had a really kind of uh we were in a basement and the marketing team were kind of like all together but it wasn't massive and we were like kind of in our own office it it, it had more of like a startup feel you know even though you're part of a, a massive footsie business um and you know the people at Hayes were really great for me and I got lots of opportunity to um eventually like own brands and, and play a part in Kind of shaping the the marketing plans so it was it was yeah really good time i enjoyed it great business and and you had the resource to do stuff which i think was really important rather than you know starting a business where you're on a shoestring you had the option to get an experience that was really varied you know to be able to do events or online stuff or whatever it may be you know started off designing ads for the back of trade publications you know hasn't really been useful since but um <laughs> yeah it's a great it's a great experience um and then after that i, I went on to uh, uh gcs which is um uh, like it recruitment business to set up their marketing um and i always remember you know i worked in a very professional environment at hayes everyone was very nice and polite and you know, we weren't part, we weren't on the sales floors, dedicated marketing office, and then starting at GCS onto a sales floor was a culture shock, to say the least, um, and a bit more colourful language, and uh, getting used to working with that noise and all of that going on around me took some getting used to, but uh, yeah, the, the time at Hayes was, was really good. I think that noise part is really interesting because so many people have gone, obviously due to COVID, working from home. We're now returning to the office and so many people now are really, really affected by the noise, whereas before they just thought it was normal. Um, I, I don't know, how have you been back to the office yet? Yeah, we're back a couple of days a week. Um, and I don't think that because uh, the offices, are uh, everyone's so spread out still in terms of you know social distancing, I haven't had that noise issue. Um, I've always worked ever since I started at GCS. I've always had, you know, at least one day working from home to have that focus time. So I've had that for years. So if there's ever stuff that I really need to, you know, get my head down, then 
of being able to do that. So I actually think that um, uh, like I've got to the point now where completely different to how I was when I first started GCS. I, I like the noise, I like the um, the environment. Uh, JCW recently we talked about the possibility of having you know uh, um, an operations kind of set area, stroke office, and you know, and that would now sound like hell to me because I want to be around that buzz and that noise and um, to be listening to people's conversations so you can kind of help talk to them about, you know, you haven't mentioned this bit of content or actually not selling this in the right way or whatever it might be. I want to kind of be there and, and be a part of it. Which I, I think is so important. You know, we, we always say internally, the best way to know how to sell is to speak to your customers. So for marketing to actually take a product to, to market, how do they do that if they don't know what the customers are saying? You know, so I think yeah. being in that sales store accelerates that, that, that growth and that learning. What is your relationship like with, with your recruiters? Yeah, I mean, I hope good. Um, I hope good. They'd say nice things. I, I think it's something that uh, I've had to learn to place importance on since I left Hayes because at Hayes it's very much like you'd phone up an office I, I'm phoning the Southampton office it's Daniel you know for the marketing department and you just you didn't need to build that sort of one-to-one -one relationship apart from with a, a few senior people and and then you know realizing that you know I remember joining GCS and sitting there and just being like I, I could get away with doing nothing here like no one's asking me for anything where is it like Hayes the phone's ringing People are requesting lots from you because marketing's established, you know, like, you know, no one's asking me for anything. And, you know, obviously you've got to, it's up to you to go and drive that, and, you know, educate people about what marketing does, celebrate the wins, take people on that journey and realizing the importance of building that relationship. And I think now it's at the point where I am at, at JCW that we've kind of been doing that over the last 18 months of educating people, building the awareness and, I think a lot of it really the where it kind of uh, where it really matters is around the communication, the expectation management and the 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 art of saying no as well. Um, I think you might have mentioned that book to me. It's a fantastic book. Yeah. Um, set like managing expectations, I suppose, is probably the most important part of building a relationship with the sales team because they'll come to you with ideas for this and they'll want that and um, you know, I always believe in setting a marketing plan that will take, you know, 70% of your capacity to allow you the flexibility to react to stuff that's going on in the business, but um, you can't react to everything because if you do that, you're not actually going to achieve your aims at, at the end of the year. So it's about, but you also don't want to ignore what people at the coalface are saying. So it's about having that filter between what's actually really useful and what's just going to be a distraction and making sure that you communicate that in the right way and you manage expectations in terms of timelines or impact, et cetera. I completely agree. And recruitment's an interesting sector, right? Because you are almost B2B and B2C and you've got the real, a real unique mix. And from the sounds of it, you never planned to become a recruitment marketer. You, you wanted to be in marketing. I don't think you actually said, I want to be in recruitment. So yeah, the, fact you, the fact you've ended in recruitment means you've seen every bit of the spectrum, right? Of, of what's going yeah. on. What um, what have you learned the most over the last say twelve months with the shift to obviously different types of working? Um, 
I think with uh, with everyone like remote working in terms of internally, the 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 emphasis on communication. So um, what has changed? For, so being in the office and being able to have those conversations and go to the pub and um, just be right there to, to help a lot of people, even though we're a global business, so I'm only in like one office, but being present enough to help people, uh, people working across uh, you know, the globe. And I think that the, I remember uh, going through recessions uh, when I joined Hayes and a recession when I joined GCS, like, now this, when I joined JCW, it's just when I start a business, it just, you know, the economy takes a hit. So you're um, responsible for it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. And, and in each of those situations, in hindsight, it's actually been really good for the business. I remember at, at GCS going through a, a period where, you know, we really kind of cut our cloth accordingly. And you came out of it thinking, why were we ever spending that money on that? Why were we ever doing that? Right. And you kind of you really get a bit more of a laser focus when you go through something and you're not just like, yeah, let's do this and let's do that. And and I think that's been really important. Uh, even though I haven't marketing hasn't been established that long. You know, I'd only been in the business three months when the pandemic hit. But uh, from a, a business perspective, it really allowed us the time to focus on the things that were most important to the business rather than you know probably allowed us to get going as a marketing function quicker because it allowed us not to distract anything take on any projects oh yeah that's good it was, it was like straight loads of laser focus on like what are our key messages what's our service offerings in terms of like the recruitment products that we offer how do we communicate them how do we get content out? how do we support the sales team how can we prove the values back to the sales teams really quickly. How can we measure the sales team's engagement with the stuff that marketing's doing? All of that actually allowed us to be kind of quite laser focused. And I think that, you know, in hindsight was the, having that pandemic and that pressure actually was really good for, for me personally and for marketing. And, you know, it was probably, you know, helps the business in some respects and we changed the structure of the business have a group structure and we launched a couple of new brands during the pandemic and, um so in some ways it it really helps sort of to get that like i said that laser focus which i think is incredibly important and i think you're one of the lucky ones because quite a few marketers weren't invested in or, or valued during that time right so you, you're obviously working at a company that really values marketing one thing I want to bring you back to, because you mentioned at the start, right at the start, you were really nervous for interviews, you know, voice breaking, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. For me, everyone views marketing usually as, as extroverts, right? You, you've got to be able to build your brand. You should be big on Twitter. Why, why are you not big on Twitter? You're in marketing, which is crazy because most people I know are actually more, more introvert, more nervous more, more than you realize. Would you describe yeah. yourself now as an extrovert or an introvert and how has it helped you in your career? Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely. Uh, I'm definitely not an extrovert. I think <clears throat> a lot of people think I'm miserable when they just see me sat at my desk with resting bitch face, and you know, um, sometimes you know, in, in typical 
social settings, it would take me a while to warm up or to really throw myself into things. I think that um, as I've progressed in my career, it's something that kind of A, I've forced myself to do more and B, I've had the confidence to, to speak up or have an opinion more. But I think naturally, uh, I would probably be, you know, more of an introvert than, than anything. But, you know, I try to put on, I've always taken like my career and, and marketing very seriously. And, you know, I really, uh, you know, love what I do. So I kind of try to put on that, that, that uniform as a marketer going to the office and trying to be the person I want to be rather than probably the person I am. You know, unless I've had about 10 beers. <laughs> so I, I completely get, I completely get. And one thing I want to chat to you about in particular is, is imposter syndrome. Um, now, for the people listening, I met Dan, I want to say two years ago. Um, you were at Rock at the time and I was trying to sell you Pager. I remember it very, very well. Um, yeah. But what I remember from you know, getting to know you actually, and you know, Frank, I'd like to say becoming friends. You may differ, but I'd say becoming yeah. friends. Yeah. Is that you've got a lot of self-doubt right when i was speaking to you like oh you know i'm not sure because i was complimenting rock's marketing because for me it was fantastic what you were doing at the time and straight away you battered me down no no it's not great it's not great why do you feel why do you think you act that way because I, I suffer with it as well and i'm happy to do my opinion but why do you think you act that way and how has imposter syndrome affected you um, in your career <clears throat> i don't know if it if it has affected my career um it probably might have done things quicker i probably got there in in the end i might have done things quicker if i didn't feel this i just you know it's like um you you see lots of businesses doing great things right and you don't actually know whether that is just noise or is it really companies can look like they're doing amazing but actually it's just a lot of like social media noise but it can't be tracked or proven or anything like that but i look at a lot of businesses and what they do and you know peers and think wow like what a great campaign what great website what great marketing what a struck diet and i just think oh we don't have this we don't have that. And i just i just always um <clears throat> i think it's it's probably part of my drive that probably what keeps me so driven um and i you know now i'm determined to uh, jcw to get to cmo right i've got targets in place and i really focused on that and i think that part maybe part of being like that miserable bugger that i mentioned is that um like, i'm never happy i we do a campaign i am if we build anything if we do any piece of content i am thinking um God, we could have done this we should have done that why didn't we do this even before it's launched and i and I, i'm never happy and i always think we could do better why didn't we do that and and i think that creates the doubt but it also creates the drive so it's like using managing the sort of negatives as a driver and making sure you get that balance i suppose um to use it in a positive way even <clears throat> like um you sent me a couple of questions before this, uh, before this chat, right? And I I looked at them 
about 20 minutes before we sat down. And I just thought to myself, I don't know. I, I haven't got any answers. I, well, I don't know. Why, why are you asking me these things? I, I, I don't know anything. And it's, you know, if I, if I have to sit down and like think about that, once I'm talking about it, and, uh, you know, I'm a lot more comfortable. But if you, if you'd ask me those questions and, you know, ask me to email back a, a response, I probably would just be full of self-doubt thinking, well, my answers aren't as good as somebody else's. And, and I think that's what has an impact on my personal brand on, on LinkedIn. I have that, that fear, I suppose, of feeling like, why, why should I give anyone advice? I, what have I done? What, 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 what opinions can I add to people and uh and I'm you know I know that I, I could uh but I think that yeah I definitely suffer with with that but I try to I try to recognize that and use it in a in a positive way which I think is absolutely fantastic and it's interesting you mentioned about doubt on LinkedIn obviously building a personal brand within marketing especially in b2b these days is something that you can't you can't avoid right you, you really can't avoid if you want to be successful What's, what's your journey been internally on your personal brand, I say over the last 12, 18 months? Yeah, without sounding like I've just <clears throat> uh, got imposter syndrome, the, the journey's not been as good uh, as or as quick as, I, as I'd like to. I think <clears throat> one of the things that I find is that I see my job as to support the personal brands of all the recruiters, our leadership, <clears throat> and they're the the market experts my job is to support them to have their own personal brands so mm -hmm. i talk about it a lot i give ideas and this is what you should do and, and in a way i kind of get i it's kind of almost like the chef that doesn't want to come home and cook i it's like i spend so much time talking about it then i kind of almost feel like i don't have the the energy to do to focus on my own personal brand i have tried to do more and to build that, um, but I feel like my focus is on other people's and- Which arguably is exactly where it should be, right? You know, yeah. you mentioned marketing there to support leadership, to support sales, I completely agree. What's your journey been like with your, with your sales team supporting them? Yeah, <clears throat> it's been, uh, it's been overall really good. Um, when I joined the business, the only time we ever posted on social media was, you know, the classic, I'm hiring for this position, I'm hiring for this position. <clears throat> and now, you know, obviously we use pager, but um, with, uh, with that, we've kind of created um, a completely different mindset with the approach to personal brands. So we have content, obviously we, we uh, you know, deliver to people's inboxes that, that gives them stuff to talk about. But the other real benefit for us is the market knowledge that it brings. There's probably like the biggest benefit that we've seen on the sales force is increasing their market knowledge, which, um, which not only helps their personal brand, but actually allows them, you know, in, in all those BD conversations, conversations with candidates, whatever, to um, speak on a more peer-to-peer -peer basis because they're understanding their market quicker. You know over and above all the other training that we do but i think we now have people that recognize the importance of personal brand we're not you know by any means 
done the journey you know the journey will never be done that's the beauty of, of marketing there'll be something new uh the algorithm will change um but we've we've come a long way from where we were so i think we're in a we're in a decent place uh a lot's still to do but positive journey so far brilliant i'd love to hear that and for you it must be difficult because you're obviously in charge of the company brand and supporting the personal brands if you could yeah. only do one what would you do personal all day it's a very quick answer what's the reason yeah because who wants to engage with a faceless entity i i, I, I obviously we're going to post stuff out of the company you know we've got 150,000 followers on linkedin right how many of them are actually you know legitimately really engaged and interested in what we do but you know Jamie our CEO's connections are going to be interested in what he's doing you know our uh you know our director for Europe they're going to be he's going to have a lot more of a captive audience and I think that it allows you to write content in a more personal one-to-one -one basis that sometimes if you try to do that for the company you can get wrong it doesn't quite sound right or go the other way it's not personal enough so I think for me 100% I would go personal brand over company every day of the week I, I wholeheartedly agree and it's not because I'm biased at all um, but I if I look at where our inbound leads come from it's always someone's personal LinkedIn you know the company LinkedIn is great for internal hiring if you want to check out the company the culture of the business that's that's there but nine times out of 10, any of our inbound inquiries come from somebody's personal, personal profile. Um, so for B2B, I think personal branding is, is absolutely key. We, we've spoken about a lot about the good things you do. I want to just delve into a little bit, probably something you've done wrong. Like, would you mind sharing with us your biggest mistake? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, one of the things that um, I, re I specifically remember about um, doing my business studies course at GMVQ and in that you had like a marketing module and a finance module and whatever else rubbish just remember thinking that with marketing there's no wrong answer right you can justify it and you can fail and you could not like you know two and two two plus two is five right um in marketing is you can sort of I think that's why the lazy person in me at school kind of wanted to do marketing as well because it seemed like you know you just you know failure is part of actually what makes you successful there are obviously some uh, at gcs i uh printed a few hundred mugs of uh gsc on them that was <laughs> classic <clears throat> and, did you still uh, use them internally did you put them around the office for everyone no i, I took the hit uh and um i uh also one time uh, all of these are at GCS, so I'm surprised I still had a job there. But um, I, I booked a hotel for an Ibiza incentive, um, and because we were struggling to get one, but then they got one, and I failed to cancel it, and so we essentially had to double the amount of hotel rooms in the hotel that we needed. In the end, we didn't get charged, but that was a difficult conversation to pull the MD into the room to say, by the way, I have messed up badly. And then probably the, the one that 
will stay with me for the longest is um, I had two email marketing suppliers for a year because I signed up with a new supplier without correctly cancelling the old supplier and the contract auto renewed and I had to pay for two providers for a year so that was that that hurt the most yeah, and that's a lesson in any business isn't it to read the terms correctly yeah that that has made me uh, check the fine print in a lot more detail than I would have previously so yeah they're they're three the three things that kind of stay with me I think they're quite an free. The auto renewing contract, I think, is an easy mistake. I know it sounds like the worst one, but it's an easy mistake, right? The mugs one is unforgivable, mate. That's that's unforgivable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in fairness, it was the designer that said it, and I just just didn't even check it, if I'm honest. Yeah. So there's criminal activity. Uh, yeah, pretty bad. But you know, hopefully, they've made me a a better person. I think so. I think so. One of the last things I want to chat to you about, obviously, at Pager, we support Mind. Um, and the way we're doing that is to have, I want to say comical T-shirts, but T-shirts that call out some of the things that happen in marketing, things like, could you jazz up this document or um, sprinkle your fairy dust on this? Um, one of the big terms is the colouring department. Have you ever been referred to as the colouring department? How does it, what's, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it makes me more angry than it should because yeah there is a, a big part of coloring in involved and actually some of the coloring in in terms of branding and um creating a, a, a strong visual identity I, I enjoy uh the thought process behind all of that but <clears throat> marketing touches more areas of the business than, than most departments right we are involved in and that's like the probably you know the biggest challenge of marketing is you know being focused um because you get pulled in so many different directions and <clears throat> if marketing is given the time to focus and prove the roi and everything like that then uh you know then no no one would ever call it the, the colouring in department again. The, the trouble is you get pulled in so many different directions. Sometimes you don't have the time to prove that. And the only thing people then see is the output of a piece of content that maybe looks good and they call it the colouring in department because of that. They don't see all the work that goes into, you look like a salary guide project seems really simple. Everyone does them, but you know our salary guide project is quite intense data research for probably three months and you end up with a pdf at the end of it and uh people just see that it's a, a pretty pdf but actually it's a really valuable piece of content and you know we've proven that it's generated business for us but yeah it really frustrates me because um i've mentioned i wanted to get into marketing from a really young age i had all that that rejection and um i take the career in marketing really seriously being really driven so for me it's something that i really love and passionate about and when people call it that it kind of does actually quite offend me 
which I don't, I don't blame you at all. It's why the t-shirts are there, right? Um, if anyone wants to check the t-shirts out, go to pager.tmeal.com. Where can people find you online if they want to connect? Yeah, on, on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn, whatever, forward slash Daniel Evans Marketing. Amazing. And uh, I believe you're hiring for your team right now. Do you want to give a quick shout out to that? Because the audience is marketers. Yeah, looking for a marketing exec. Um, uh, I need someone to come in and look after and create content and our social media presence. So uh, we talked a lot about social media and I mentioned that I did my marketing degree before social media existed. So I need someone to come in and actually tell me what is good and what is bad on social media and to drive the strategy. And you know, we're the sort of environment where we're not, you're not just going to come in and be told what to do. You pretty much need someone to come in and tell me what to do. So if anyone's interested, hit me up. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything you want to chat about before we go? No. Covered it. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. And I'm going to finish my beer and I will chat to you soon. Cheers, mate.